0: It sucks when you're just like staring at a blank logic session. You're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what this sounds like. But then if you just start like noodling anything, like it doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be good, just noodle. And then when you see it against picture, you'd be like, oh, this isn't working because of that. And then, well, why isn't, okay. And then I'll change that then. And then all of a sudden you're kind of, you have a direction now, even if you don't have anything, but you, you at least know what wasn't working.
1: sound iron podcast we have a special guest he's a film and tv and video game composer who is no stranger to the sound iron world and our youtube channel and has done many many demos for a lot of our products i'd like to welcome sean chase and how's it going man hey how's it going thanks for having me yeah glad to have you on i know we've been talking about getting you on the podcast for a while so it's pretty cool to finally make it happen especially now because this will probably i don't know might be might be the last podcast of the year oh well I'm honored. If if uh, we can squeeze a few more in before the end, but uh, no, yeah, this so, is the last one. This is the grand finale, dude. Yeah, it's oh. it. We're closing it out with you, man. So <laughs> cool. Uh, so so what's up? Uh, what you've been up to as far as recent projects and stuff like that?
0: Uh, not too much. I, I just uh, finished off my score for the expansion for Way of the Turtle. Uh, so that that was the game I was actually working on when we did that video on uh, video game music. Mm-hmm. um and that was uh 2019 the base game came out and so now this is the second big expansion update kind of thing so they they had a whole bunch of new music for it and so the soundtrack album for that's coming out uh december 20th and then the game should be coming out ar- around that time also
1: oh pretty cool is there uh, anything about the expansion that you found different or sort of any new things that you did as far as the approach for this one compared to the first one
0: Yeah, so um, in the first one, I mean, you're you're on this island that's, you know, magical and and dangerous and stuff, but it's very light and very kind of fun and cute and stuff, and then after the events of the first game and the first expansion, um, at, at the end of the second expansion, this big mountain kind of explodes and leaves this evil purple goo all over the island, and so there are a lot of familiar places that are now changed and more dangerous, and so kind of in general, all the music got... Uh, a little darker across the board, um, yeah. Which is kind of a super fun change. But then trying to keep that same instrumentation and the same kind of signature instruments. Like there's a lot of kalimba and a lot of little hand percussion things. And so it still sounds like the way of the turtle, like the previous um, stuff from the, the, the other games. Uh, but it's it's new and darker kind of thing. Oh, that's cool. were you
2: were you duplicating sessions and then just like adding new instruments to them?
0: Yeah, yeah. So whenever I start a project, it's just the first cue uh, involves just building a big template of all the sounds like, oh, this is cool. This is cool, you know, of things that might work for the game. And then yeah. some of them end up getting used all the time and some of them end up getting hidden or, or deleted from the template. Uh, but yeah, so then when you do another track, you can just bring in that same template. And, you know, I, I scored the base game in 2019. So now we're a couple of years later. But when I pull up that template, um, I, I, some of my orchestra had to be updated, some of my core stuff. Um, I, I think I got new woodwinds since then, um, but uh, yeah, it, it's cool to to see a lot of the old. You're like, oh, I was using that kalimba. Oh, I was using you know the the reserve patch from uh, the alto glock, I think, which is good, like this kind of reverse sound. Uh, that's really great for like section changes, taking you to different um, like new keys or whatever, where you have it fade up and then the the end of the f- like the whoom, happens on a downbeat of the next section. It's nice. just a, a really cool kind of quirky weirdo sound where it, it it's a i guess you guys made it out of a, a glock um but it's it it sounds really just fun it's just a cool sound you know? Probably one of the like sound design ambiences probably for the library the patch was called resurb. reserve
1: that's that has mike Peasley written all over it yeah <laughs> yeah were
2: you like were you like changing keys to like for instance you know you're writing in c major for a theme and then when like the purple goo hits are you changing that to c minor or are you just like adding additional instrumentation and like making it darker timbres
0: yeah so the there are some the, the game doesn't have too many melodic themes, but it has a lot of kind of, I would say, textural themes um, where a yep. lot of like rhythmic things will come back. Uh, and then maybe they come back faster, they come back more aggressive. And instead of being like, you know, light pizzicato playing some rhythm or something or light marimba, you'll maybe have like a, a bigger drum, like a tomback or something playing that same rhythm. And so it's, it's, it's familiar, but then it's darker. Cool. How many minutes of music did you end up writing? Uh, the new expansion, I think, is about twenty minutes, uh, and then uh, I'm not sure all of it is is in the game. There there are two main explore tracks, and then a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of cutscenes, and then each of the explore track um, has a corresponding uh, tension layer, uh, and so that will that's vo- the volume of that is controlled by the, the num- number of enemies on screen. And so as you're in more danger, the music gets more tense kind of thing. And then as you're clearing out an area and you're killing guys, it's fading out. And so it kind of calms back down. And then within those explore tracks, though, there is ebb and flow of mood. So it does kind of keep it pushing forward. And then each one also has a corresponding low health layer. So, you know, as your health drops below a certain amount, it will start to fade in. Uh, But what we actually found was it, it got super annoying if you were wandering or wandering around and you couldn't find a heart for whatever reason and so you're just like you're not in danger but you're just chilling at like one heart and you're like great i know i i, I got it you know i don't need you to keep like dinging in the sleeping. background yeah. yeah so what we had happen is the low health layer comes in and then after it's been there for a while it, it kind of fades out a little bit and stays at a really low volume so it's there but it's not like pissing you off Yeah. You're not just like just having total anxiety the entire time you're playing. Just like, okay, right. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I will choose to die to just stop the sound. Yeah. That's one of the things I thought was really cool when, when we were filming that video for the scoring video games, how you have like the multiple layers and how like certain things will fade in. Or if like more enemies come in, the music gets a little bit more intense, maybe more drums or, or just some, some kind of sound that there's, you know, some kind of warning or. Or an enemy coming up, I always thought that was really cool. How a lot of that stuff makes it a lot more interactive and and all that. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, especially with with games works with with films or TV. It's we're so used to that, like. The bad guy comes in at this second of this minute of you know on this frame. He opens the door, and that that will happen for every single viewer who views the movie. That will happen in that same way. But with a game, you might wander around an area for five minutes and just bomb through it, or you might be like, oh, I didn't want to find that secret area. I think there's a thing there. I'm gonna noodle around until I get there," and then you end up staying somewhere for twenty minutes. And you know, if the music is is not changing based on game elements, it's gonna get uh, just frustrating and boring, kind of thing. Is there anything about the process now as far as how you go about scoring games since the
1: last time you know we did that video where you were showing your process, has there been anything new or any new ways you've kind of sped up the process or made things easier or just new things you've implemented in your workflow?
0: Not really. Um, I got the Thanos script for uh, Cinematic Studio Strings. I don't remember if I had that at that point. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Uh, Cinematic Studio Strings is the, like my, my kind of bread and butter string library but it's it's late often because the transitions are often kind of slow but the transitions are slow because they're nice sounding you know and then like the the, the lower your velocity the, the slower it will be until you're getting into almost portamento um but so you had to go through with a click track and just nudge every note so it would be in time uh and then some random person on uh, vi control wrote something called the thanos script he called it because it like snaps it into time kind of thing and it just runs in logic you put like a 500 millisecond delay on the track and then you load up thanos script and then you can just hard quantize everything and it's perfectly in time and as you adjust the velocity to slow down a transition it will automatically adjust the timing and so it, it you can just go so much quicker because you don't have that intermediary step of just adjusting and making sure everything's in time kind of thing interesting it's so like i can't remember if yeah. i had that at the time but it's it's one of those things that you're like oh my god this is like the biggest quality of life increase i've ever had that yeah and nah, i i want him to write one for you know the the brass and the woodwinds and stuff uh for cinematic studio but yeah i i don't know i, I sent him a friend's request on facebook i can't remember his name uh, he did not respond and so it's, i'm very sad because <laughs> i want to just thank him for that yeah i think i've always just normally anytime i've ever had a virtual instrument that had some kind of
1: track delay normally just in cubase i just set some kind of negative you know minus you know 40 yeah. seconds or or whatever depending on the instrument just to kind of make stuff fit in time because if there's a little yeah, bit of so that Yeah, so kind of... if
0: it were consistently late, you could do that. But every every note transition has a different amount of delay. So you could kind of get it in the ballpark with a track delay. But mm-hmm. then you'd still have to nudge individual things. And then the slower transitions would be late or the faster transitions would be early. And so you did still have to go through and just nudging things yeah. off the grid a little bit until they're in time. Yeah, and the velocity layers change it too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. Those little tools that like... I didn't know I needed it. And then you get it and you're like, oh, I can't go back now. <laughs> I, I could never go back to not having this. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that moving forward, more companies are gonna introduce that natively uh, where the, they'll be aware that there's, you know, different amounts of latency for the different transitions and they'll compensate for that. And um, it, it'll be interesting to see in like, in five years or 10 years when we're using sample libraries, how much of the the busy work they'll start to just do for us you know
1: everything will be ai and we'll just sit with our eyes closed looking at our computer screen we'll have a daw behind our eyelids oh yeah like some minority report that's the future i want no i'm just kidding yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i mean there are little tasks that you do so often that a a computer could so easily do so i I had like a, a a French horn line the other day and I was like oh, I just want this in like four part tight block harmony with whatever chords are going on and so you duplicate the solo French horn four times and you're just bringing it down uh, so that like each of the four French horn instances playing another legato line where it's the next note under it in the chord and so it's mm-hmm. this tight block harmony and you're like this uh, and uh, you know a robot could do this this is not creative work it just needed to be done for that texture that I wanted but I, I could totally see in, in some short amount of time just like make that block harmony and then like whether or not you keep it just that you know it's a starting point and you've just saved 10 minutes or whatever and then you can go and adjust from there uh but there are lots of little things that we do really frequently that i think could you know could be taken over and there's there's something to be said about like oh you know the computers are writing the music now you're like well no that's a tool is being you know making our lives easier right yeah well that'd be like
1: getting upset about someone saving presets or something like that like like you don't use pre exactly I, every time i go in there and I, I i make the changes myself or or even like with um with like cameras now like now iphone cameras are almost better than dslrs and people are gonna be like oh right well, you know well that kind of automates the process and it's like cheating or something it's like it's not necessarily cheating if it saves you time but as long as like sort of like the the core creative aspect is coming from you if you're just like pushing a button and like the entire thing is done then you know, maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, from like the, the start to finish aspect, you know, but if right, there's like right. little things you can do, like saving presets or little ways you can find to kind of speed up your process, I mean, there's nothing
0: really wrong with that as long yeah. as no, absolutely it you know, allows oh you God. to
1: sort of work quicker, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's this, it also comes back to this fundamental difference between, you know, a, a film composer and uh, a concert composer or more, you know, t- artistic kind of composer we're like we're we're craftsmen at the end of the day our our job is to generate a piece of content that pleases the client and supports the project kind of thing so like it doesn't really matter how we arrive there if we mm-hmm. toiled over candlelight with a pencil on our score you know it, it if it made a good track to use a preset or something then it's it's a good track doesn't it you know, sounds good yeah, exactly it's like a lumberjack being out in the forest like know you don't
1: have to chop every piece of wood by hand if you have some kind of machine that can just do it for you like as long as whoever's paying for it doesn't yeah like matter. back in my
0: day we didn't use chainsaws and we were better for it yeah you'll find purists you'll find purists in every
2: genre but it's one of those things like um like you know they don't
0: care how hard you worked on it they care about the result yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and they, hey, they, they don't want to know how hard you work on it; they just want to get it on time. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're paying you for your for your knowledge and ability.
1: Right. I saw you did a project with uh, that involved Snoop Dogg and David Arquette or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I did that uh, last year. That had that was a uh, Domino Battle of the Bones. Um, so that had its theater run in uh, June or July. And now it's on um, streaming services, so I think it's on like the Hulu Premium, um, and then we'll be airing on uh, Stars and stuff like that. I think you can also see it on Amazon Prime. Um, Yeah, so that was a a comedy about a a domino tournament in Compton, Um, and what was cool about that is um, I got to do a bunch of music, kind of like a 90s inspirational sports movie, like those old Jerry Goldsmith scores and stuff like that, where it's like this way over the top melodic orchestra. And there's a part where, um, there's like a big robbery at the, the tournament and everyone's going to leave. And then once they get it kind of sorted and everyone's panicked and then David Arquette's like, well, oh, hold on, hold on. And then like gives this like rousing speech as to like why the tournament should go on and everyone cheers. And I'm like scoring the conversation or his speech. So like cartoonishly tightly, every time he shifts or gets bigger, I get bigger. And it's <laughs> like, it, you never get to do that kind of thing. Cause it's so over the top and cheesy, but for yeah. this, just cause the, the, the idea of the whole story is over the top and cheesy. It kind of worked. And so it was fun that they they let me do that. And I, I scored that, you know, during COVID. Um, so I, I, I recorded uh, some string players remotely um, where they, they each recorded at their own place. And then I kind of doubled up and uh, mixed here. And it's just kind of the, the new way, right? Where all, all the session musicians have such nice remote recordings. So, okay, bye bogey. Uh, they, <laughs> they all have such nice recording setups now um, that it's kind of, it's just easier than having them over or even like booking studio time unless you re- really need people to be in the room together. It yeah. can be so much faster. And then uh, I guess other than that, I just had a dub for uh, a project I'm really excited about um, that uh, I can't say too much about now, but yeah, will we'll be a, a TV series hopefully coming out early next year um, that oh, I, I cool. also got to write some kind of 90s-ish music for. Um, and then the same kind of thing where I've been doing this thing where I'll record like one violin and one cello and then just layering with the samples and then each cue will have maybe like three or four violin parts and two or three cello parts. And so you, you have basically five strings and then you're giving kind of viola parts to your cello. And so you, you have a a little small string ensemble. And then you're blending that with samples and you can get a really beautiful, really intimate sound. And then because every instrument, every part was recorded separately in isolation and not all together in a room, you can melodyne things, you can, you know, you can time align things if it's a rhythmic part and you need them to be like exactly locked in. And so you just have like so much uh, flexibility and control to make the mix sound kind of how you want it that you wouldn't get if, If you were recording that ensemble in a room together and it's like a beautiful, magical take, and then one guy wrestled his chair and was out of tune and you're like, well, great, that moment of that take is ruined kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But if it's all individual, you, you can just replace the one part or you can just tune the one part and it's good to go. Nice. Do you have any tricks that you tend to use
1: to kind of blend them together? Any sort of like EQ matching or anything like that? Or how do you normally go about sort of making it all sound like it's one big cohesive session?
0: I remember recording a a thing when I was in undergrad and it was all samples. And then I recorded this one French horn and he wasn't even playing a big melody. It was just kind of a part of some chord or something like that. And the mix sounded so bad because I was so proud of the fact that I recorded a real French horn. So it was so loud and up front and it was like, here's my Sindoor here's this French horn that I recorded. And you're like, oh my God, wait, that's so loud. And so just kind of that realization of like, just don't, don't treat it as special in the mix just because it's a live element. You know, just make sure you treat it like it would be anything else. And so the volume ends up getting pushed pushed way back way more than you'd think and you're like, oh look at that fader, look how low that is. You know, like why did I even record this? And you're like, well because listen to it. It's it's so much more detailed now. Uh, and if you have it too loud, then it sounds like a solo string sitting on top of the orchestra, you know? And so you really do need to kind of solo the 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 solo violin and then solo the sampled violin together and just kind of feather in until you find a nice balance where it mm-hmm. still sounds like an ensemble you're not hearing one violin but you hear it as more detailed than if it were just the sample on its own yeah i've always heard that a lot of people like to do that sort of stuff uh when i was
1: hanging out with leo barenberg he was telling me how he would use you know uh like something like Olympus, as far as like recording in like a choir melody, you know, that has recorded transitions, but then he would also record himself maybe once or twice on top. So you get those real, you know, human transitions blended in with those recorded transitions and it would just help just add that slight touch of, you know, that human aspect to it. Even if it's as subtle as, you know, being blended down, you know, or way down in the mix, there's just something about that little element in there that just kind of Resonates with our ear in a way that's like, oh, it sounds more realistic
0: or believable. Yeah, so that's cool. yeah, That's cool. that's really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm always jealous of people who can sing really cinematically, and like people like uh, like Mimi Page, who mm-hmm. just has that voice that you're like, yeah, that's a really cinematic voice, and like you just have that on you at all times.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I remember when when we were working with her on
0: on her vocal library, and she was just
1: like, you know, I can always record myself, but now it's kind of cool to just be able to like load up my voice and use it in ways that I never could, like loading in some staccato patch with a bunch of effects on it and just create these really sort of delayed, you know, you know, just weird arpeggiated stuff that sounds a lot more sort of hybrid and sound design in a way. Yeah. So that's like the kind of the cool part of being able to have sort of the virtual aspect of of your own voice. You know, because you can write things in a way that you normally couldn't achieve by just putting a microphone in front of you.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, There's a, a guy I saw who did, uh, you know, that uh, Owl City Fireflies mm-hmm. track? Like 10,000 Fireflies, da 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 da. Uh, it's got this really like electronic, cool opening thing. And this guy recorded his clarinet, uh, but he recorded each note uh, separately. And then the video is edited. So it's like every single note has him in like a different part of the room playing the mm-hmm. clarinet, but it creates this really disjointed electronic sound but out of his organic clarinet and it's such a cool sound and you're like yeah that that that's like for this effect that's better than just playing the line kind of thing that's so cool and it's that it comes back to that like sometimes sampling just it's not about being better or worse it just gets you a different result you know exactly just using technology as a tool
1: that's one of the things i really like about uh people like jacob collier and mm. the way you see him going about his music process it's really Inspiring and sort of like a fresh take, you know, as far as him yeah, just like yeah. recording every single line and videotaping himself. And you see, you know, all these different, you know, camera shots of him singing and harmonizing and stuff. And it's really cool. Like makes yeah, for an yeah. interesting video and an interesting song.
0: Yeah. Yeah. jacob Collier is upsettingly good at music. <laughs> yeah. It's like inspiring, but
1: depressing at the same time. Cause you're just, like, this guy is yeah, yeah. so young and just like, such a genius at what he does yeah yeah His he's, like he's so cool his approach and thought process on music and the way that you know like you don't really hear a lot of people in you know sort of into using like microtonal stuff because it's very yeah. and you can get super deep and if you're not really too knowledgeable in that it's i don't know most people probably don't know how to use it in a right in a musical right. way without just like making everything sound sort of chaotic and out of tune or something but yeah
0: yeah no i mean it's it'll be interesting to see in like you know 20 years when we're like codifying what he's doing exactly there's a, a a video where he shows a modulation to like g half sharp and it sounds so natural and he's he's moving through keys and i guess just certain notes in each of the chord voicings he's just making just a little bit brighter like a few cents sharper and he just arrives at this point where he lands on this big triumphant g chord and you're like why is that such a bright like epic chord and uh (laughs) it's g half sharp like he's modulated like half of a step and uh it's just so cool uh and then like he goes and plays a G on a piano and it's it's flat and you're like oh my god that's so cool like I, I would never have noticed that but and just the, the amount of control to get there so fluidly is is just bonkers yeah it's one yeah. of the the beauties of having perfect pitch it's funny I remember I was watching a video of
1: his and he was like playing at a piano and he was like this is actually out of tune <laughs> And he was just like saying how, like he would like sing the note and then like kind of play around with it and eventually show how, you know, the piano is out of tune and how, you know, a lot of times people will play pianos and they don't even notice it, but yeah, it must be like a, it's like a blessing and a curse
0: to have the ability of perfect pitch. Yeah. You wonder if that's like always frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. Like I've seen videos of like Charlie Puth and he was
1: talking about like, you know, like he'll be in the studio and he'll hear like some, like you know fire truck like roar, like oh that's actually like a c-sharp into you know like, like mm-hmm. you know being able to just like hear the pitch and stuff and everything or you know but it must be sort of horrible especially if you're just trying to like enjoy a movie or tv or something and you hear things that are slightly out you're just like
0: they uh, like, like takes you out of it or something yeah yeah uh, there's a pianist i went to school with uh who had perfect pitch and he was saying as long as things are like relationally in tune he doesn't care so much if it's like everything is shifted off a little bit like a half step and it's everything is technically out of tune but as long as it's kind of in tune with itself he doesn't mind even -hmm. though he's aware that that's what's happening um but you have to wonder if some people would just be constantly sad moving through life because everything is just like a little bit off all the time it's like why can't everything just be in tune yeah (laughs) that way i can actually enjoy music the world is not perfect so your perfect pitch
2: is not fitting in very well (laughs) Yeah. So Sean, how do you go about getting the gig? Because you've just described two gigs that are very different from each other. So how would you, like, what are some tips you would give composers to finding opportunities?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so the big one is when you're working on a project, and I get that this is a you know a bad place to start with that advice because it assumes you already have some gig, but when you're on any project, um, first of all, just do a good job and so everybody in the project leaves with a good impression of you uh but say you got hired by the director and that's the only person you knew you can't forget that all these other people the editor the dp the colorist the the vfx people everybody heard your music and Mm -hmm. so if there's you know a screening or something you you want to meet all these people and then maybe you know they, they all branch off into you know 20 different projects and now that's 20 different projects where your name might come off or come up and, and so like with with way of the turtle for example i had done this horror game in 2015 uh called hector and the artist on that game ended up working for this company illusion labs and then they needed uh, a composer and he's like oh, i have a guy and so if i hadn't you know um Gotten along with him and Hector, and done a good job on that, and then we stayed friends after that. And it's the kind of thing people think of networking is like you shake your hand and you give the business card, but it's like no, just right. be friends with people, you know, just be a person, and you know, people like you, and you just go with them for their next project, kind of thing, because they enjoyed working with you. And you know, nine times out of ten, people would rather hire the the B level composer who's really cool and fun to be around as opposed to the a level composer who's an asshole you know because sure. yeah. you have to like spend so much time with them so you're yeah. saying
2: you're saying you do good work and you turn things in on time and you're like a fun hang
0: yeah absolutely (laughs) kind of thing and like when people are like we like this but like can you change this blah 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 you know i've had friends who like get all uppity and they're like no but this is perfect and i'm an artist and you're like (laughs) just, just make the changes it's their music kind of thing and just be easy and flexible to work with and then they'll they'll come back cause they had a good experience you know if they they really did have a good experience and the music was what they wanted they're not gonna look for a new composer you know mm-hmm. the, the, the people want to create a team around them kind of thing and so yeah. you kind of just want to get onto the team of, of as many people that are kind of like-minded and you enjoy working with the other one is uh just do stuff. We, we had a composer talk to us uh, when I was at Berkeley at one of the forums, and somebody asked him about networking, and he's like, "Just leave your apartment and do something. Like, it doesn't have to be like a networking event. It doesn't have to be like you know a, a thing where you're thinking, but just go do something. Go on a hike. Go rock climbing. You know. um I, I used to rock climb a lot at this place, Rock Creation in LA, and then like after climbing there for a couple of years it turned out that like a third of the gym worked at remote control you know oh, and, wow. and just like things like that and then like uh i used to go to this bar uh pre-covid uh backstage and um you know the, the amount of people that i've worked with there you know th- there was one guy that like i played pool with a bunch of times and we had known each other for like two or three years and never ever talked about work at all. He didn't know I was a composer. I didn't know what he did. Turned out he was like a music entertainment lawyer, and it's oh, just wow. like oh crazy, you know. So now like if I have you know a, a question, I could send it to him. And that that show I was talking about, the the superhero comedy thing, um, the director, I just met. We were sitting next to each other at backstage and just struck up a conversation. And now you know years later, he's one of my closest friends, and um, we've worked together on. You know, he's the one, he was one of the the producers on Domino. Um, and yeah, and so you just, just do stuff, you know? And you just kind of get out and meet get people out of the studio. And, and be friendly. Get out of
1: the studio and just, yeah, just yeah. hang out and have fun. You never know who you're going to meet, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then meet, meet people not with the intention of networking. Just meet people because you want to expand your social circle and you want to just be a friendly person. Because people can tell if you're like what can I get from you and your, your, your whole vibe is that you're like trying to extract a career from them or something. And they're like, all right, man, that's great. You know, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, be a person. And, yeah. yeah, That's been a, a common
1: topic on, on this podcast, uh, over the past few episodes and talking about it, you know, me and Nathan talk about it in different ways. And there's so many like common things. I think people think about networking and that like, they think like, You know they have to approach it in this really sort of serious direct way when a lot of the times like it's just people meeting people randomly or you know you go to nam like you don't go to nam and go to every booth and say hey i'm looking to get endorsed you know like (laughs) that's not how endorsements work you know a lot of times you use their products and you're just naturally excited about it And they like what you do, like, oh, cool. Like it's a a mutual collaborative thing. It's not like, what can I get from you? If you approach everything from that, what can I get from you? Then people are just going to see you as like, well, it's just, just another person just trying to, you know, find a quick, easy route or something or, you know, get something from you or whatever. But it's like, you know, like, like Nathan's mentioned, you know, like, like, you know, hitting people up and saying, how can, how can I help you kind of thing? You know, and a lot of people will probably be like, oh. Someone trying to, you know, help me out, maybe make my life a little bit easier and as a way to kind of give you experience. You know, that's something I think people can, you know, take from instead of just give, you know, get, get, get sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think that young people forget sometimes is like, you don't want to meet Steven Spielberg, you know, because like he can't help you. You you don't want to meet people who are way out of your tier professionally because they're not going to hire you and you know they they can't help you you want to meet people who are at your level on the other side of the coin kind of thing and then you move up together i don't think so like if you're you know a a music student you want to meet film students you want to meet game development students you don't want to meet the the director of you know grand theft auto 5 at rockstar games he he can't help you you know um you're kind of yeah. and even if you did just magically you asked a genie and you get ga- he gave you the next star wars movie you would drop the ball and you you would you would not do a good score because you're not ready for that you know and so you you don't want those yep. kind of things yeah you, you want to meet people who are kind of at your tier i was actually um at an scl event um not too long ago and um uh, I, I witnessed one of the most, like, oof interactions where this guy sitting in front of me was talking about, like, he's a composer, and he's he's got a couple short films lined up, and, you know, he, I think probably just out of music school or something, and the person sitting next to him was a guy working at Rockstar, and had worked on Grand Theft Auto Five and had worked on Red Dead, was, like, a VFX person or something, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Um, They had like a a, a great conversation, but then it ended with like, well, I'm a composer. I'm always looking for work. And you're like, "Oof, no, man, he can't, you know, (laughs) he's not going to hire the guy who's about to do a student short, you know, he can't help you and it just made the interaction awkward and it mm-hmm. just soured the interaction but had they cuz they had a really great conversation up until that point and they were talking about their shared love of like math rock and stuff like that and yeah. it's like had they just left it at that and even if they got each other's contact and they were sending each other math rock back and forth and became friends and then in 10 years when he's you know got more under his belt he's got this friend who works at Rockstar what you know what i mean but mm-hmm. because he was like i can i have work right away kind of thing then like that's, that's That's the end of the relationship. They won't be friends, you know. If he if he now sends him, you know, an email with like, here's that track I was telling you about that math rock thing that I thought you'd find cool. It will come off as as transactional, Mm -hmm. you know. So he like ruin the opportunity by kind of shooting too far out of his league. If that makes sense. Don't be going up. Don't be going up into conversations thirsty. No one likes (laughs) it. it. Right.
1: (laughs) So, what types of composing projects do you enjoy these days? Is there like, since you know you do video game stuff and you've done film and TV stuff. Is there any sort of projects that kind of intrigue you a little bit more than others? Or is it just
0: more just what the project's about? Yeah. I mean, um, a good story is a good story kind of thing, regardless of genre. Uh, But lately I've been really having a lot of fun writing um, more like kind of family adventure orchestral and like kids music uh, like way of the turtle and stuff like that where you get to write these big kind of over the top orchestral scores where mm-hmm. a lot of smaller uh, like an indie drama or something like that you couldn't write like that it would be too big for the room and it wouldn't sound correct um but it's so fun to write and so like uh, projects like uh like big animation projects or whatever are kind of the the dream where you get to write for a big orchestra but you also get to write really thematically um and melodically and almost like in, in almost a dated way i don't know if that's a, a good way to say it but it, it's um just a lot of more adult movies don't score like that you know they're a lot more subdued melodically and it's a lot more textural and I, mm-hmm. I i do like that and i do appreciate that but it's sometimes fun to just be able to write music you know and get to write big lines and stuff but yeah, I mean, a good story is a good story. And so what I like about what we do is that it's always different. You know, you might be on like a weird, quirky kids thing. And then you might be on like a serious deadpan drama. And then you might be on like a, a horror a thriller thing. And we get to shift gears like that. So we can, we never really get bored because the next project will be different. And mm-hmm. the next project got to be different kind of thing. And even if it's the same and you want it to sound different. So you're going to try to do something else. And, um... I like that, that you, you kind of never know what you're going to wake up and write today because, you know, the project hasn't been thrown at you yet. And Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you try
1: to do to, to stand out when you do something like a horror project or, or maybe like an adventural, you know, adventure orchestral type thing to, to yeah. not kind of easily, cause it's very easy to, kind of slip into a cliche of like, you know, yeah. way, like they start sending you temp tracks and you're like, Oh, okay. You know but like, like, what are some things that you try to do to maybe avoid cliches or to make the project that you're working on a little bit more your own and different unique?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. So I know we had just talked about like, well, using presets and using loops, like nothing wrong with that, as long as it gets you there quicker. Um, um at the same time though, if you use a preset, that means that anybody else has that preset and can have that exact sound and i think that's a truth about all of the great a-list composers when you go you know you, you listen to the score for dune or you listen to the score for like and any you know really big score that was done by a, a really experienced seasons composer is that you don't know what any of those sounds are kind of thing he didn't pull up zebra and use a preset he didn't um you know he didn't use a, a patch from Omnisphere you know he might have started there and then you know morphed it and or found a sound that was similar in, in mood but was a different source but it just everything was was tailored and everything was custom made for the project and and so for things like horror sounds you hear libraries like symphobia or whatever where these trailer risers or you know it's melee torque stuff but everybody has it and so you hear this little like horn like meow, little horn slide from symphobia and you're like now it sounds like crappy tv from 2001 you know because everybody oh, yeah. has that sound you know and so like if as soon as you start using like really identifiable presets, then you've kind of fallen into that trap of, of it kind of being like a mixed score, you know, where like you got the job done and you may have pleased the client. Um, but it's not gonna, you know, it, it won't be your big groundbreaking score kind of thing. Yeah. You're showing uh, it to your composer friends. They're like, Oh yeah, that's the preset. <laughs> yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's funny i I hear that all the time when you watch a lot of like like swamp people or you know different you know tv shows you always hear that little that (laughs) boat like or like if (laughs) there's like like, a reality tv thing and like something some someone gets in some argument or says something here that it's like the same little like or or like
2: or yeah 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 it's
1: it and it's it's funny it almost it's like one of those things for me it kind of like takes me out of it i'm like oh god like use a different sound already or you know like something it's just like whatever the, or the audio guy is just like, all right, just drop it in here. All right.
0: This is the, this is yeah. the drama sound, drop it in, you know? Yeah. yeah the, the big one for a while was, uh, after the matrix came out, um, every single person had to have a water phone in their score kind of thing and like anytime there was the slightest bit of tension and then like it, it, it permeated reality tv where like a, you know oh like what, what what are the judges gonna say about my knife that i've built and then like you hear like a water phone as it transition and you're like god it's so cheesy now and it yeah just things like that they're so overplayed that like somebody found like you know for the matrix don davis found a water phone and it was super well executed in that score and it fits super well but it's done now kind of thing (laughs) we don't all get to do it for every single thing um it's it's done um yeah so it's just kind of finding you know those sounds that that are really signature and unique to the project and whether that be a sample you made yourself or um just live recorded players playing your aleatoric stuff and uh, like, for Hector, we recorded a lot of stuff, and so I have, like, trailer risers and stuff for strings that, you know, are playing the same things that the Symphobia ones are playing. Um, if they're just, like, like tremolo sliding up all the way or whatever until a big point. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact is is that I recorded them with, with an orchestra that I hired and I recorded, and so they're going to sound different. Uh, and so it just... All of a sudden it elevates the project because it's not a symphobia preset you know it's not an omnisphere preset it's it's a random sound you made yourself and then you get into programs like paul stretch and stuff like that where you can make anything you want do you ever because i know you got the guitar vial i remember uh, one of the last times we were hanging out i think you just got
1: that do you use that uh to kind of make your own risers or like sound design any of the stuff with the instruments you have in your studio
0: Um, Yeah, so I I had done a whole bunch of hits, uh, like horror stingers, from um, that guitar actually, which is like a a jazz guitar, but just uh, picking really aggressively behind the bridge. Um, and you get this really like twangy uh, twangy. yeah 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 and then running through like a ton of delay and reverb and stuff like that and then maybe pitch shifted and um, just you can make some really unfamiliar sounds and same with like uh, a harmonica is Mm. a really horrifying sound if it's like slowed down and lowered it just makes this like haunting unsettling growl but since it's a harmonica it's, it's a wind instrument it has that kind of organic nature to it which mm-hmm. makes it almost more unsettling because a synth that's low and growly you're like cool it's a synth it's kind of a thing but this it almost just sounds like a creature in the deep like what's what is that you know what's breathing you know it, it kind of ebbs and flows like a, a person would because you're blowing into it and mm-hmm. so it, yeah it can just be a really really unsettling sound Yeah. Like, have you ever heard that sound? Uh, It's like a a bunch of crickets recorded and
1: pitched, pitched, pitched down. It sounds Mm. like, I remember it sounded like a choir or something.
0: Oh, weird. This was like a long time
1: ago. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm remembering this right, but yeah, it was like, supposedly like a bunch of crickets were recorded outside, but when they pitched it down, it sounded like, like people singing. It was really trippy, but cool at the same time. It's like, it makes you wonder. It's like, like, you know, when you hear crickets talking to each other, you know, like (laughs) What's really going on?
0: Yeah. This so is now really a- running the world.
1: This is now a conspiracy podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are they really talking about? They're talking with the aliens. That's what it is.
0: So, yeah.
1: Oh, uh, but yeah, that but that's like a, a great way to like really see where the sounds can be taken when you just start pitching them around and I mean throwing effects and stuff. That'll always just kind of take it into that kind of natural yeah. sort of odd sound. But yeah, when you just take a natural sound and pitch it down, you really it just kind of breaks it up and you really kind of analyze it in a different way. It's really cool. I never yeah, thought about pitching absolutely. down the harmonica. might have to mess with that.
0: <laughs> no, it's like instant growl. It's yeah. It's even just don't even play anything. Just kind of like breathe lazily into it and then mm-hmm. just like lower it and pause, stretch it or something like that. And then you've just got this like haunting ambience. <clears> yeah, super cool. Um, I was going to ask you a couple questions. Number
2: one is like, so you, you get, uh, you get a gig. What's, what's like something that you start out doing? So like maybe if it's a game, do you play the game? You watch the content? And then like where you have a blank page of your session, right? So then how are you starting
0: to write? Um, so for, for a film, um, so sometimes you get the script early and then that can be a good starting point creatively, but you don't really know how it's gonna feel until um, you, you see picture. And then same with a game, often you'll get stills at the beginning uh, where they're like, here's this character model we made, here's this environment kind of thing, here's a little scene render. But you you often get hired too soon to really be able to play a game right at the beginning. Uh, maybe there's like a little early build of an area, but like it, you're usually brought on way too early for that. Um, But yeah, it's it's a lot of back and forth discussing like what were they listening to when they were working on this project and what did they have in mind and sometimes that'll be totally different than what you were thinking Um, and it it can be hard to pull people away from those impressions and Mm -hmm. so if the editor has been editing to this one temp track for for months and has been thinking about that only and the director has been hearing that in every single cut of the edit for three months before you got brought in then that's anything different than that is going to be unfamiliar and wrong kind of thing of course. Yeah, <laughs> and of course. so that 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 has to be the starting point is, is where their head was already at and then as far as it's a template is your, your orchestra and your core sounds are, are kind of the same regardless of the project uh but then it's all your your auxiliary sounds Um, that there just is a lot of tinkering and a lot of like a full day's worth of just loading up patches and just noodling around and they're like I'll I'll leave that in there and then like I'll name that something that's useful like dark ripples or something like creepy clicks you know just whatever you're you're naming it so that when you're browsing through your template uh, a week later you're like what what is that like you know blr2 like I don't know what that is but if I named it creepy clicks then like oh that was that thing okay cool and then i can press that and i get and you know um yeah and so just kind of building sounds together and then that's your same experimental phase when if there are certain needs that you anticipate you can start to try to build your own little contact instruments and do some experimenting and if i know i'm gonna need a bunch of ambiences that are gonna need to last a bunch of time then it might be worth just spending a few days just recording and then passing it through Paul stretch and just seeing what comes out the other end and seeing, um, you know, what we can do. And uh, again, cutting down on preset use. And so Mm -hmm. if I know I'm going to need pads, then I'll try to make a couple pads from scratch that are not Omnisphere or not D.Va or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, So we can just have things to lean on that will instantly sound unique to the score because you made them for the score and then you kind of try to do your best to retire them after so that for your next project, you're not just pulling up that pad you made because then all your projects have that pad, you know? Um, and that that does happen is sometimes I'll have to like really consciously tell myself like this needs to be removed from the template and not added back for at least like a bunch of projects kind of thing. Because it's like you, you listen to a cue from a project you did a year ago and you're like, oh, my God, that has that little twinkly sound in it also. That's really embarrassing. And then, you know, this, these five projects have had that little twinkly sound somewhere. And so you have to just make a conscious decision to retire a sound from your, your template.
2: Do you have any writing tricks or like starting tricks to get out of a creative rut so like you're sitting there you know you're just starting the day you're starting a new project and you're like i'm not feeling this right now you know like do you have any kind of go-to like noodling or like an instrument that you pick up that you kind of yeah. like gravitate
0: toward so most of my noodling and my like Early writing happens all on piano. Okay. So like if you look at a, a session, even if it's like a big orchestral thing, there's probably going to be a muted piano track in there that mm-hmm. if you just soloed that would have all the chords and everything mapped out um, of the whole piece and maybe some of the melodies are in there and fragments and stuff like that um and so that that's a a huge starting point but if you're really creatively blocked just go for a walk kind of thing (laughs) go make some coffee go for a walk go get a snack you know watch a youtube video just do something else um and then come back to it and often that that frustration you were feeling goes away and then like you you know, I don't want to watch a YouTube video. i I'll, I'll I'm procrastinating. You know, but then like midway through that YouTube video, you find yourself noodling with an idea, and then you end up pausing the the video and going back to your logic screen, and then before you know it, you're back to work because you didn't force yourself to work. You know, you just kind of, you know, allowed yourself to get there. You know, um, obviously, if there's a deadline and you're you're chugging along, you you have to force yourself to work. But I think that's a lot easier once you've got the sound of a project Agreed, and you kind yeah. of have tendencies that the project will do musically that you can lean on but yeah the first cue of any project is always always the hardest um and th- there's that uh it's a quote it's attributed to like so many people i've heard it uh, attributed to stravinsky um but I don't, I don't know if he actually said that but he, the whole thing like free yourself from the tyranny of the blank page mm-hmm. kind of thing where like it sucks when you're just like staring at a blank logic session you're like i don't know what to do i don't know what this sounds like but then if you just start like noodling anything like it doesn't have to be right it doesn't have to be good just noodle and then when you see it against picture you would be like oh this isn't working because of that and then well why isn't okay and then i'll change that then and then all of a sudden you're kind of You have a direction now, even if you don't have anything. But you you at least know what wasn't working, and Mm -hmm. maybe stumble across the thing. You're like, oh, but that one little chord change that sounded really appropriate for this moment, kind of thing. And so then you can lean more into the things that are working and stay away from the things that aren't. And because making changes to something that exists is so much easier than generating something new. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Um, So as as a freelance
2: composer, part of part of the job description is uh being between jobs so, yeah, so what do you do when you're in between jobs do you do you write still do you work on your own personal music projects do you not you just completely take a break from music and just like rock climb and go on walks and hang out with the cats like what what what's your what's a week off look
0: like yeah so i've been um that, that's definitely A thing I need to improve on (laughs) I think we all do because I I think um, often when I'm working on a lot of things I'm stressed out because I have too much work and then the project (laughs) ends and then I get stressed out that I don't have enough work yeah and so you're constantly living in a state of stress either because you have too much or not enough kind of thing and um, I I was talking to a bigger composer uh, about this and he was like, "You just need to chill. You just need to like allow yourself to chill. Like, if you have a, a you know a week off work, it's not the end of the world." And I think, it, especially as as younger composers, it's really easy to be like, "Oh no, the project ended, and that's the last thing I'll ever work on. My career's over forever." <laughs> right, you know? Right. And it's like, no, just just hang out. You know, just chill out. And then when something inevitably comes up, you are rested and ready for it, kind of thing. Yeah. And you're not. You didn't spend the whole time off stressed that you would never work again. There, there's an interview with uh, Jared Goldsmith's wife uh, that she did uh, years after he had died where she was talking about like how he even till the end was always paranoid he would never work again. Uh, and so like if you look through his IMDB he's done all these great critically acclaimed projects, but then there's, it's like sprinkled with like these weirdo little terrible movies mm-hmm. that he would just be like, oh, if I say no, then I'll never work again. And he'd be like, Jerry, yeah. you have an Oscar. You can say no to that project kind of thing. And he's like, no, though, I'll never get called again. <laughs> and it's kind of like one of the greatest film composers of all time had that insecurity his whole mm-hmm. career. So I think it's, it's kind of okay that, that we have that if he did. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's something to work on to, to actually accept the time off uh, and to allow yourself to chill and rest do you ever get sort of like panic or anxiety if you ever turn down a project or do you most of the time usually get projects that you like to work on? Um, I've been getting better at that. Um, once in a while, somebody will email you and a tough thing is when they, they contact you with a project that you find really compelling, but they have no money kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not about like, well, I could, you know, do this project, but that, means then it's time that i couldn't do another project and so it's not only it's not just that you're you're agreeing to do their project for less money you're also agreeing not to do another project um and so that that is a whole issue with kind of setting your own boundaries wherever you land comfort wise uh when you can say no um and i know it can be frustrating it's happened to me where i turned down a project because um this seemed like nice people. It seemed like an okay project, but they didn't have any money really. And with no money comes its own set of issues, you know, where the project might get delayed halfway through. And then when they put it out, they have no funds to market it or to distribute it properly. And so like you're, you're maybe signing up for just the dud project kind of thing, but then you say no. And then you end up not working on anything that week anyway. And you're like, I probably could have done that, you know, that, that kind of would have been fine. And then like, what if it, you know, that the whole like fear of missing out, uh, mm-hmm. What if that was this viral hit indie game that I turned down kind of thing? Um, but you you do have to say no. There's only so much time in the day. And if you say yes to something, that does often mean that you have to say no to something else. And so it, I think it's okay to be a little bit more choosy because mm-hmm. um, you, can't, you can't do everything. I mean, some, some composers have this... Uh, Kind of a a shop mentality where they will say yes to everything and will accommodate by hiring more people. And so they they have these like music factories where there's, Mm -hmm. you know, this composer, you're like, how are you doing seven hit TV shows at one time? And then you look Mm -hmm. at the IMDb and there's like five additional music composers credited for every episode and then like he's got like you know 10 full-time assistants working for him and you're like oh there it is <laughs> you, know? Yeah, you, you know you see guys like working as an aggregator. it's like how are
1: it's you like, doing the walking dead and this show and this show and this show <laughs> and then he just did this big movie and then like four months later he did this other movie i'm just like you know plus i but i've heard that he he's one of those composers that can work super quick but, but right also one of those guys that has a team um what
0: is it uh I forget the Sparks name and words. Shadows yeah or yeah. something yeah. is that it
1: yeah. yeah 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 so i mean you know definitely having a team around you to, to help sort of be able to accept more projects but i think if you're at that level it's you know going to be more of a of a of a requirement probably than someone who's maybe just probably, starting yeah. out or more freelance kind of doing it on their own sort of thing
0: yeah yeah uh, but you you do see big composers who have really small teams and they do work on you know one project at a time and um i i don't think there's anything wrong with that and you know that they won't be the people who are you know making um buckets of money from working on you know 10 films a month um, but you might argue that the quality of their films is is higher because they have more personal involvement in anything. And I, I think the fear is that you become an aggregator of work more than a, a composer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have uh, some friends who have gone kind of that route with, with video game audio where they've started uh, like video game audio companies and they, some of them have like a ton of employees at this point and they work on tons and tons of games. And <laughs> you talk to them and they're like i haven't written a note of music in a year (laughs) and you're like i have a MIDI controller at my desk still because i would feel terrible about myself if i didn't but i don't use it you know i like i i deal with clients and i manage projects and i aggregate work to like the composers who work for me but they're not composers anymore the pickle must leave
2: every job gets boiled down to sending emails at some point right
0: right right but yeah i mean that's that's definitely not for me um i i kind of want to I want to work on projects. I I want to be in a room alone writing and I I don't want to be managing a big team or I don't want to be, you know, working on too much to focus on individually. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to promote yourself out of the job that you actually love. Right. Right. It's impossible to work on multiple projects at a time and have them not sound. So the, the, uh, Star Wars episode three and Minority Report, um, John Williams was scoring both of those at the same time. And there are cues when you're like, that is identical. This one part that is identical, and it's it's you know he's the one of the, the greatest film composers of all time. Uh, but it's impossible. He worked on those films at the same time. Of course, there's going to be things that sound the same. It's impossible not to. Yeah. Uh, and so if you're working on you know four shows at a time, and TV music that just needs to be pumped out really quickly, it's gonna sound similar. You know you can't help it. Um, and so there's something to be said for for taking fewer things um but you know obviously there's a privilege in that statement because those fewer things have to individually be higher paying um to support yourself um so we're not always in a position to say no to things um but yeah it's a trade-off i think um being a a business manager versus being a composer and i I get we do have to be a combination of the two um but it's kind of which side of that coin do you really want to um landing on and that's a personal choice kind of thing there's i I don't i don't want to make a value judgment there
2: rent hits on the first of the month every month so you got to figure out a way to pay the bills (laughs) bills. yeah yeah yeah. uh i have two more questions the the first one is kind of a double-sided question but it's like in a we have a sea of content just constantly coming out right just an ocean of streaming content youtube indie films and tv like there's just so much because it's never been easier to like shoot and upload. Uh, so how do you kind of filter through the content when you're like trying to find the next gig? And then the other part of that question is it's never been easier to write music a quote, you know, put that in quotes if Mm -hmm. you want, but like, it's never been easier to make a track or make a beat uh, and so how do you stand out as a composer and like show that you are head and shoulders above the other people vying for the same position?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, so first of all, with the, the sea of content and, and streaming and everything, by the time you've heard about a project, it's too late to be on it kind of thing. Um, that That's a pretty universally true. Uh, that if if you've heard about something, then it already is mostly done sure. and it's the composer was hired a year ago before you heard about it, you know so that that's not really ever a consideration for me when i'm I'm looking for work i'm I'm you know hitting up colleagues that I've worked with in the past and um you know fostering those relationships and wondering what they're working on and then you're yeah, it's things like that, but yeah, in terms of seeing hearing about stuff coming out. Um, it's it's too late for you uh, to work on it if it's already if you're hearing about it with music being kind of easier to write than ever. Uh, I will say easier because of the the technology where uh, I think the barrier for entry is way lower. Right. Um, I, I think that's a good thing in the sense that it's kind of democratizing music production a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You hear some people panic about that. And they, they get up and well, if some kid can, you know, just throw in some garage band loops, then he's gonna steal the gig or whatever. And I, I wonder about those people sometimes. If you're worried about a kid with garage band loops stealing your project, then maybe you need to be better. Yeah, you need thing. to reanalyze yeah. your process yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit because you're looking exactly, li- you're looking yeah. at it the wrong way. Yeah. yeah. Right. And there's that whole, you know, art of war thing where like you you, you beat your opponent by just not fighting them you just do your own thing kind of thing and you you move forward and you just keep improving yourself improving your own work and and don't don't worry about the competition kind of thing just keep keep moving forward uh but yeah i I don't think that's a bad thing at all that you know a kid with a a laptop and garage band can make beats i think that's Mm -hmm. great you know if anything that's introducing a whole bunch of new people a new generation of people to music who may otherwise have not had access or have not you know maybe before that the entry to music was are you going to take piano lessons or guitar lessons but now Mm -hmm. people you know they have a laptop they don't have a guitar they don't have a piano but they can get into music and they can pencil in midi notes and they can start learning about how a melody works and you know what what chords might work with that melody and you get young kids who are making really incredible stuff and i think i think that's kind of a wonderful thing yeah i think that's a great thing
1: the only thing that i think is kind of uh the the opposite or more negative aspect of that is when you get people that sort of feel entitled because they have oh well i have all the same tools as as this composer and i've seen his videos where you know they're scrolling through their template i got that library yeah. i got that library well like why aren't i scoring marvel movies and then like you said earlier <laughs> all right cool all right well, let's throw you let this do the next avengers movie and they have no idea how to score they, there's so many more aspects to working on a project than just having the tools you know i can right. i can go to home depot and buy like every circle saw and tool and this or that but i don't know how to build a house you know so it's like yeah But you get the guys who have been you know doing it for a long time maybe there's always going to be new tools that come out but having that the foundation and the fundamentals i think will always sort of keep you a little bit more at the forefront you know especially work ethic Because right. I think now with stuff being so easy and like everybody can do it there's still that level of work ethic that some people just don't have. You know it's very easy to buy the tools, but you know you always got to have that drive to learn how to use them, learn how to do stuff new with them to make you stand out and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I had a teacher who said, uh, owning a copy of Microsoft Word does not make you an author does not make you a great author kind of thing. and it's the same thing like you you wrote you know, your little crappy fan fiction story with the same tool that George R. R. Martin wrote Game of Thrones with, you know, you both used word, but it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, owning the, all the At the end of the day, it's up here. You know, it's this, yeah, not it's, everyone has the same thing as you, your own
1: experiences and influences and how you kind of, you know, massage them together to sort of create your version or interpretation of you know, new musical ideas, like no one's going to have that, you know? So that's, that's the thing I think more people need to worry about is just like learning new things and, you know, keeping the mind sharp and learning new ways to be able to utilize your tools in in a more quicker way and just understanding it and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And then kind of that whole thing about, uh, helping people up along the way that, comes with this where if people are panicking that the kid with garage band is going to take their job then when the kid with garage band is like can you tell me about your reverb and they're like no it's my reverb it's my preset kind of thing and you're like just what's the problem just tell them what reverb you're using take a screenshot of it so that they can see all your settings you know like it shouldn't be an issue um you know we can share knowledge and as people you know above you share knowledge to you and it's just you know we're Mm. all kind of in this together and there's Like you said, with the, the sea of new content for streaming and games and there's, there's room for all of us kind of thing where we don't, we don't need to be putting each other down to, to stay afloat.
2: I think there is, that's a good analogy. I think there's a, like a real worry about giving away the secret sauce when you don't really know what the secret sauce is about yourself. (laughs) The sauce is always changing, you know, or. or Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not a reverb price preset though, almost definitely. Not. <laughs> yeah, no, the reverb preset's not gonna suddenly make you. But <laughs> I use a twenty-two point three pre
1: uh, pre delay on my string orchestral verb, and it it that's the that's the thing that
0: makes it sound you know that much more realistic yeah. like,
1: or something like that, like, like
0: that. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, you know, being you know young and seeing somebody's reverb preset that you like, you know that that's helpful, you know and I think it's it's okay to share that and <laughs> you're not going to lose work because you shared your reverb preset or you told them what horn library that was, you know. Yeah, Absolutely. I've always I've always found that teaching people and I know Nathan you've done some teaching
1: and stuff too like have you have you ever found that like teaching people almost kind of like makes you analyze what you do a little bit more because oh, yeah absolutely. you know absolutely like, like breaking down little things like uh like when I used to teach guitar like it really forces you it's not just put your finger here pick down it's like how you hold the pick where the pick is in your hand you know how you right. angle it like all these little sort of like micro mechanical things that maybe other people don't think about it's like those are the little things that sort of will take you a little bit further than just like the overall like you know macro movement or whatever you know and i feel like even like musically or or with plugins or presets you know like maybe you're teaching someone about reverb and they're like hey have you ever messed with this setting there's like this button right here like oh i didn't even know that you open it up and there's like all these other settings you know like maybe you you might learn something from the people that you're teaching too so it's you know it's always cool having those kind of educational conversations because you can learn stuff at the same time, you know, don't always think that your way is the best way or that you, you got it figured out, you got that secret sauce batched up and locked up in the cupboard, you know, maybe you got to reanalyze the recipe, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: My last question is, uh, Craig and I are both biased because we work for sound iron, but I had a composer (laughs) who asked if he should buy the full version of contact and he said like i'm happy to pay for quality samples but i hate the idea of paying for contact paying for the sampler and so i'm asking you sean chasen is buying the full contact worth it as a new composer
0: yes, Bingo. yes. i mean it's it's a sampler it's one of the, its contact is arguably the most bread and butter foundational tool of the film scoring industry. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I could have one thing uh, other than, you know, my, my DAW it would be contact um, and, lots of things work with contact player but so many don't and like why, why would you if you're willing to pay you know money for a sample library why, why would you limit yourself to only libraries that work with contact player kind of thing it just seems like a bizarre especially contact itself is not even that expensive and it goes on sale pretty frequently and um mm-hmm. i'm not saying go buy complete necessarily but like just contact um mm-hmm. is is just it's so foundational um and then even, I don't know with contact player, I don't think you can make new uh, libraries, uh, nope. but with contact, like you just drag a sound in, hey, you, you don't even do anything stuff. and then it just maps it, right? Just yeah. that alone is worth the price. That's the secret sauce. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Throwing, the exact, throwing that's your own samples in there.
2: That's the exact answer I was looking for, so thank you. Uh, contact <laughs> is definitely worth the price of admission and it's an industry standard sampler for a reason. So,
1: yeah, Yeah, absolutely. We, we, you know, have a good amount of products that aren't for the player versus, Mm -hmm. you know, player products. So, I mean, it's always kind of a bummer to feel like, ah, well, I can't get that one, even though it's really cool because I have only the free player and I don't want to work in the demo mode and all that stuff. It's like, if you're going to invest. If you're going to invest in other tools, like getting some big ADA key keyboard, you know, but then you don't have, you know, all these like cool sounds to utilize it with. It's like, yeah, yeah. maybe you should refocus on, you know, some, some of the tools that would really benefit you in the long run.
2: You know, even if you, even if you don't end up like using a bunch of full contact libraries, you can make your own sample libraries really easily and people like jason graves are showing tutorials of how to like make Mm -hmm. your own take your own samples and make them an instrument and all of that is free free 99 yeah yeah.
1: yeah yeah he's a perfect example of a composer who really makes his stuff his own you know especially with all the dead space stuff like he did some some recent really cool tutorial tutorials where he was showing how he took his cello and like recorded, you know, different takes at different velocities and how he blends them together and does little cool things to make each note or every time you play it, have a different sound. And he's probably like the perfect person to like, Hey, if you want a a reason to own the full version of contact, just look at the stuff that, you know, that you can use super, super quickly with it. Like probably something you could do within a, you know, a day, you know, just recording Editing it, prepping it, looping, you know, and you could do all that stuff within contact too, you don't necessarily need to loop outside of it, but you could basically yeah, do every, yes. everything you need to do to have a fully functional virtual instrument, you know, within a, f- a few hours, depending on how knowledgeable you are on it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think and coming back so, to that, you know, sharing your reverb, here's Jason Graves, one of the coolest game composers of all time, and he's just so forthcoming with all this information and happy to share, you know, it's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's always a nice thing when, when
1: you, you find people who are, you know, up for, for talk and chop. I think most composers that I've ever met, I don't think I've ever really met too many that are just like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that. about that. You know, most of the time, <laughs> cause to. we're all, we're all nerdy about it. So it's like, you know, it's like going into guitar center and being like, I'm not going to tell you how, you know, how I set up my guitar to get it to play like this, it's like, you know, most people are pretty, pretty willing to, you know, talk shop or nerd out on stuff so that's that's always the cool thing i found with most of the time but you know there's always a few sour apples in the bunch but usually not too many when you find out just for sure most people talk about them then they don't really hang out
0: with them anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
2: so what's next for you sean uh you have any goals for 2022
0: um, just keep working I got some uh, interesting features that got pushed back because of COVID sure Um. Sure. but are hopefully filming early 2022 um, awesome and then uh, got a couple documentaries uh, that I'm excited for that are some uh, interesting topics uh, yeah so I'm just you know looking forward to taking some time off in December and going back to Canada for the first time in, in like two years or something oh wow um, that's awesome yeah and that's then awesome. um Thanks hit the ground running in 2022 and I'm excited.
1: I think that pretty much wraps it up. I want to thank you so much for for hanging out with us. It's cool getting to talk with you again. It's been a while since we've hung out. Hopefully uh hopefully yeah. we hang out a little bit more next, more next year. year. You know maybe we'll come we'll do. come down to your studio, see how, how things yeah, are going yeah. again. That would be, cool. yeah, be cool. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, well, good luck on all your future projects and everything you got going on. Have fun with the family thank for you. the holidays and and yeah, thanks again. Thanks again for hanging cool, out. Cool,
0: yeah, the thanks for having me.